<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Our guest today was only 24 when he sold his first company for $80 million. He sold his next one this past February. This time, it was for $2 billion. This is Success How I Did It from Business Insider. I'm Rich Filoni. Nat Turner is the co-founder and CEO of Flatiron Health. It's changing the way cancer researchers collect data with the hopes of transforming the way patients are treated. He was inspired to start the business when his younger cousin was diagnosed with leukemia. You know, his dad asked me a very simple question. Actually, Zach and I, he goes, look, a few hundred kids get this every year. You know, what drugs do they get and did it work? You know, I can't find any information. Flatiron Health creates software for cancer treatment centers. The idea is to first help doctors track their patients' progress, then figure out what's working and what's not. Turner's been an entrepreneur since he was a kid. He once had a thriving snake breeding business. But he feels emotionally connected to Flatiron in a way that he never had with his past companies. In fact, not even the birth of his daughter could keep him from finishing the sale to healthcare giant Roche. A lot of negotiations occurred when we were, my wife and I were in the hospital. <laughs> really? Yeah. So you're in the hospital like you're... I was wife. ducking out to take calls in the hallway. As your child yeah. was being born? Yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> And did your wife forgive you for ducking out of the yeah, delivery room? Yeah, <laughs> she did. She did. This, you know, she was with me when we sold our last business. She knows that it's a, a sprint to the finish line. And then once you get to the finish line, you're kind of back to normal. And looking back on your life, have you always been entrepreneurial? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've always had hobbies. A very passionate person. Can't do anything half-assed, <laughs> pardon my language. But yeah, those things, hobbies usually turn into businesses or those passions usually turn into businesses. I don't know why, but it's a pattern I've noticed in myself. There's one that I saw on your website where it was something about reptile breeding. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> what was going on there? 99 is when I think I started the company. So it was 12 or 13. Um, yeah, I had snakes as pets and I was growing, it makes more sense to describe. I was in Louisiana. So I mean, it's not, it's not weird in Louisiana to have a pet <laughs> snake, maybe in, maybe in New York, but um yeah, I just started breeding snakes uh, to sell them. Pet stores, collectors, believe it or not, it's a huge industry. Back then it was even bigger. Did you make a good amount of money? I mean, for a 13-year-old, sure, but you know, I wasn't going to support a family with it or anything. Did your parents could... know about this? Of course, yeah. I mean, I had hundreds of snakes. I mean, Hundreds? Oh, my God. Where, yeah. <laughs> where did you keep these? A lot of places. I had maybe 100 in my bedroom, believe it or not, in stacked cages. Uh, our garage, actually a business partner of mine, we built a um, warehouse it's really trailer homes that we convert. He really, he converted and I kept some of my snakes there. Um, he, it was a real business for him. I was more of a consultant with him, helping him with his inventory. His 13 uh, year old snake no, that, consultant. Point, I was probably 15, 16, <laughs> but actually I learned that's where I learned how to make websites. The first website I built was for my uh, snake breeding company and then other snake breeders liked it. And I started making their websites and the rest is history. 
So how long could that have lasted? Like a couple of years, a few years? Until high school's over. Then okay. I realized that it's not cool to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to be in that To have trailers full of snakes, yeah. yeah. So it's like when you were a kid turning hobbies into actual businesses you were focusing on, what did you like want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid thinking of that? I don't ever really remember thinking that far ahead. I'm very opportunistic and optimistic. So, you know, I just take the opportunities as they come. I didn't really have a grand plan. I knew I wanted to go into company building. Uh, I knew I wanted to, that to be in technology. I didn't have a great sense for in what industry. You know, so for example, I went to high school in Texas and I knew I wanted to get out of Texas because no offense, but it just didn't have a great technology. It does now with Austin, yeah. but it didn't have a great technology scene. And so I went to the best business school I could get into and I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. That was really it. When did you know that? Oh, when I was 12, 13. My dad quit his job, I think in right around when I was in middle school and started his own company. And that was inspiring. And I was a voracious reader of, you know, Forbes and Fortune magazines. You guys weren't around then, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, And, you know, was just fascinated by people like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and um, Richard Branson. These were people I used to write letters to. And I remember asking Branson for an internship. He's like, I really wish I could. You're too young. You know, when you're in college, perhaps reach out to me. And, you know, that kind of thing. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. I got, I mean, could have been a secretary responding, but it meant a lot to me at the time. But that's, yeah, still, still. <laughs> Got his autograph, at least. Did that serve as a, a validation for this is I mean, what you want to do? In a small way, yeah. 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 The more, the the biggest validation for me was was actually building things that people liked, um, like the websites. So mm-hmm. I have built a lot of websites, probably 50 to 75 websites, somewhere in that range. For, as a teenager? Yeah, for customers. I would, you know, it was a web design firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I built a public company website for an oil and gas company that, you know, they talked about on their earnings call. Like, that was really cool. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was, it, it, there was little moments like that that were, were the most, you know, oh, I might be good at that. Or, you know, maybe if I work a little harder, I'm even better. And, um, hey, make a little money. You know, that there's no better validation of someone liking your work than, you know, paying you for it. I think that was more of it. And he, even when you were in school I- at Wharton, yeah. you continued building businesses. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I met Zach, my current business partner. This is 2004. Our first day of school, we were uh, in the same writing class. It was a class that you had to get into ahead of time because it was so popular for athletes mainly because it was the easiest class <laughs> to fill your writing requirement. And it was you had to watch a movie and then write a paper about the movie and they and they catered dinner. And it was after it was like five. I'd catered dinner and watch a movie. Yeah, it it sounds incredible. like a great class. And yeah. we were the only two, maybe maybe a few others, non athletes in the room and we stood out like a sore thumb. We started talking one night walking home from class. He found out I was into I could build websites and I was into starting companies. I did another thing at the end of high school around gift card trading online. It was a website. Um, we had just sold that. And um, he's like, oh, I have some ideas too. And we started brainstorming. He's one of the best product and you know startup guys I know, to be honest. And, and even then, he was so good at it. And we hit it off and have very complimentary skills. Uh, but we started Eat Now, which was a food ordering website, kind of like Seamless Web mm-hmm. uh, for campuses. And that was up. your first? That was he, he and I's first company. Yeah. yeah, It didn't do great, but it was a great learning experience. And then the second one that you did was Invite Media? Yeah, we started that junior year. Pivoted like eight times. It was first a Facebook app analytics company. Then it became, I mean, so many different iterations, but ultimately became a demand side platform for banner ads. That kind of gets to your point when you're saying that you're an entrepreneur who's opportunistic and optimistic, like kind of that combo. Is that what just led you to maybe this doesn't work, this might work? Well, the biggest thing Zach and I do, and I think we do it better together than individually is we're very contrarian. We just ask a million questions and we question, not just ask questions, but we question things like, why is it that way? I don't really know we did that ever intentionally. It's just our personalities, especially when we're together. We just like figuring things out and 
and finding out if it's like smoke and mirrors. So it turns out a lot of the ad world at the time was smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Ad networks, ad arbitrage, uh, you know, a lot of manual work behind the scenes, but made it look like it was technology. You know, we started meeting these really wonderful people who took us under our wing and they taught us about, you know, ads, real time bidding and the rest is history there. So that sticks. And then a few years later in 2010, that's when Google buys invite for 81 million, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was like three years on the dot, like within a day or two of when we wow. started the company. We were only 55 people, largely engineering. We, it was Zach and I and basically 50 engineers for the most part. We show up at Google. They hand us all new laptops, show us our desks. and Very different than the deal we're doing now. It was not a subsidiary. I mean, we were being integrated into DoubleClick, which is an amazing platform. That's Google's platform. Right. right? Yeah. And the overarching guy there was Neil Mohan, who's now, I think, running YouTube's product. And we've slotted in so well there. I mean, not personally, the products. You know, Zach and I are terrible employees. (laughs) But uh, we became product managers, he and I. You know, the team no longer reported to us. After about nine months to a year, I mean, again, we're horrible employees. I mean, I think we drove (laughs) Neil up a wall, you know, with our... I guess, sense of urgency and just wanting to just break things and, you know, move fast. Just getting antsy. Well, we just wanted things to happen in a particular way because, you know, mm-hmm. we're very used to, you know, making quick decisions and all that. But mm-hmm. again, to credit to Google, they, they rebuilt the system and it's a very powerful platform now. And Zach and I moved on uh, after two years. But the final year with Neil and GV's Google Ventures blessing, we started researching our next idea, yeah. which is Flatiron. Flatiron. And before that, so I mean, you're you're only 24 years old when this deal happened. Yep. Did that kind of change your perspective on what you wanted to get out of your career? Was this something expected? How did you deal with that, like being in basically a new playing field? We never build companies to sell them. We, we build the best company you can and hopefully they get bought one day. The biggest thing we got out of it was the win under our belt, validation that you know we know how to build something, R- recruiting. We, we made a lot of great friendships and and professional relationships with people at Google and at Invite that many of them, you know, helped us or work with us at Flatiron. It helped us with fundraising. It gave us a platform to think about what's next uh, in a much more free way. When you're 22 and you're thinking about, you know, how am I going to afford my apartment? Mm-hmm. You really have to jump on the thing that, you know, is going to get you there quickest. Mm-hmm. When you get, a you know, just a little bit of money and you get that platform and that brand behind you, you can really you know, think big. Zach and I always say Flatiron, if it was our first company, would have been a terrible disaster. You know, we would never have been able to raise the seed round we did. We'd never been able to recruit the people we did. Mm-hmm. Um, we never would have attracted GV as an investor. Like those kind of things happen because of that prior experience. So it seems it was less like a big celebration than more giving you a chance to yeah, think even exactly. bigger, be a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. And we always say we our obituary one day when we die, like everybody else, we don't want it to say we optimize banner ads online. Like that was for <laughs> yeah. us it was we gotta get to the next thing. So why Flatiron as your next project? Why cancer? I remember we had a whiteboard uh, at Google. We had they gave us this little office probably to contain us. <laughs> Zach and I and this whiteboard and we were you know, we knew we were gonna start another company. It was no question. How much longer did it take for you to realize that? Uh, an hour. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, day one, yeah, of course. Right, yeah, we yeah. have to have a new company. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was never. A... So you're brainstorming. Yeah. What's that like? Yeah. So we were angel investing. We probably invested in 30 to 40 companies. Mm-hmm. We told the entrepreneurs selfishly, you know, if you lose the money, it's okay. We, we were mainly selfishly trying to learn from you. You know, we, we put some money in various industries. We just really were trying to spread our wings, get our mind you know, around different problems. So we started putting money in healthcare. Uh, because that was an obvious thing. Um, 
and we started looking at a lot of different plays like insurance and all sorts of stuff. Um, I have a cousin, Brennan uh, Simpkins, who's diagnosed with AML, which is a form of leukemia. And he was actually being treated towards the end of the invite experience. How old was he? Uh, seven. And uh, they, they misdiagnosed him twice. So wow. They thought he had aplastic anemia, then ALL, if I remember correctly. My dad's family's from Georgia. He's in Georgia. Not a very rural part of Georgia, Augusta. It's, I think, the second largest city in the state. But, you know, pediatric leukemia is not a super common thing. And so, you know, they had to travel around. They were treated at Emory for a little while, but they ended up at St. Jude. He got four bone marrow transplants in the wow. span of 18 months. But, you know, his dad asked me a very simple question. Actually, Zach and I, he goes, look, a few hundred kids get this every year. You know, what drugs do they get and did it work? You know, I can't find any information. Probably didn't realize it, but like that simple question, you know, actually kind of spurred the whole chain of events. We ended up discarding all the other ideas uh, that we, we had 50 ideas on this whiteboard. Yeah, you were saying the whiteboard. Yeah. So what? We had insurance on there. Yeah. We had medical malpractice on there. We had an idea around um, anesthesia, an EMR for anesthesia. We had, I mean, you name it. We had tons of ideas on that board. The first floor of Google New York, it probably still is, is actually a cancer center. You can take the elevator down to the first floor and you're right in the cancer center. So we met this doctor, Dr. Michael Grossbard, who's I think now at NYU. He allowed us to shadow him when he saw patients. We, we went to Boston, Krishna from GV. And another advisor of ours, Vivek Garapali, who had a lot to do with this, would come with us and chaperone us to add some credibility. We'd meet 20 people a day, oncologists, researchers, pharma companies. While we were employees, we were just obsessed with it. Uh, I remember, like, you don't often get so obsessed about something where you drop everything and drive to Boston and meet with people for 14 hours, taking notes, losing your voice, you know, with no idea, just to learn. When being opportunistic is such an integral part of being an entrepreneur. Did it feel different that this was, you were being driven by purpose if you're making these trips? Oh, for sure. I mean, the end result, if we were going to be successful, was going to be, instead of a better click-through rate, it was going to be, you know, cancer patients got better outcomes. So, yeah, I don't know. Zach and I were just mentally, we, I remember we were talking about all the time. Before the cancer thing we picked, we were just, we want something mission-oriented. I think we were so burned out from ad tech. It was almost like an, an overcorrection. We just, not, again, not that ad tech's bad. I mean, it's created a lot of jobs and it drives, you know, how the internet, you know, publishers make money, but there's a lot of good things about it. But we were, I don't know, we were a little jaded, disillusioned by it. What is it like after this deal with Rochefort, Flatiron, compared to what you felt like in the wake of the Google deal? It's actually very different. Roche has, has promised us full autonomy greater resources. It's basically a funding round, you know, that we get to invest in the company. And we have access to the broader Roche group of companies like Foundation Medicine and others where we can build partnerships. Unlike the invite transaction where we went from having the whole company, you know, to no one within 24 hours here, nothing's really changed. Like I show up to work today and I have the same one-on-ones. I have the same client calls. I have the same team meetings, the same leadership team meeting. And it's business as usual. Um, so even, it's more validation than anything? Yeah, it's like I said before, it's validation that the work we did and are doing is important. It gives us resources to continue the mission. It provides us access beyond capital, such as partnerships, data access, et cetera, that will allow us to get to the finish line faster. People ask us in the all hands when we announce it, everyone still works for Flatiron. We had to remind that. It's very important to people at Flatiron you know, that it's still Flatiron, uh, which I, I just makes me so proud. Um, yeah, because the brand has become known as, I mean, we're a very science research driven company. It's everything we do is to the words, that evidence generation mission. You just look at our mission statement. So we just, we want to learn from every cancer patient and for the benefit of future patients. Have you talked to your cousin? Yeah. About this Well, he's, he, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, in high school, 
you know, when he's 18 or 19, he'll, you know, I'll have more substantive conversations with him. <laughs> I think he realizes, you know, that he was the inspiration for it. I mean, he, we've had him to the company a number of times. He has our swag, you know, <laughs> we send him swag all the time. Yeah. He's actually a shareholder too. So, Have you talked to his father about this too? Oh yeah, all the time. What do, what do they think? You know, it's, it's, uh, I think they're proud that it, you know, they, while they went through, you know, incredibly difficult experience that at least something very positive came out of it that can help others. I saw that you told a business leaders group, quote, being an entrepreneur in healthcare takes total rethinking, so you can't be on the inside. My advice is don't go to medical school. Change is going to come from the outside, end quote. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a little extreme, but to make a point, I think it's true in most industries. You know, a lot of innovation occurs when you rethink things. People can get stuck in their ways and build bad habits or, or whatever. And, you know, I think it's healthcare is, is a, it's a regulated industry. Uh, a lot of it has become of what it is because of you call them bad decisions or not, but you know, bad system design and you know, how things are reimbursed and all that kind of thing. You know, medical school trains you to be a doctor. It doesn't train you to be a business person and build companies. Krishna on our board is an internal medicine doc, but also a MBA from Harvard. And he got the same at the same, both at the same time. That's really rare. I mean, not a lot of doctors get that sort of opportunity. Um, not that doctors are bad at this, you know, business, they just didn't get the training. So you're just at a disadvantage, uh, but you're far exceeded, you know, hugely advantaged in terms of your clinical knowledge, but you're just, you have a long way to catch up and, and that's the problem. And so you, you get a lot of the clinical approach to problems, which again, time and a place for patient care, hospitals, et cetera. But if something's a software problem, such as cancer data, uh, you know, it's not going to be solved by, you know, the, the industry, it's going to be solved by hopefully, you know, not just tech people, it could be, you know, any industry, but someone coming in and rethinking how you know, the current systems designed. I'll say though, healthcare is interesting. You can't move fast and break things, right? Yeah. Like patient data is a serious thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't <laughs> break an EMR. The, the oncologist needs it to treat their patient. So we use this phrase, thoughtfully disrupt, where it's, it's you know, we're still disrupting, we're innovating. We're not causing disruption in the clinic. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're disrupting the industry perhaps, but in a much more, you know, balanced way. What do you think of the state of healthcare in America right now? Uh, disarray. <laughs> um, you know, it's unclear, you know, what the future is. I think utilization and cost and all sorts of stuff are issues and uninsured is a scary problem or underinsured. I wish I knew how to fix it. I think most people would throw their hands up because it's just so complicated. I think I think there are a lot of people who are getting away with not with murder, but with, you know, excess profits. And, you know, there needs to be there needs to be change in some way, shape or form. So when you're connected so intimately to the issue now, are you going to be with Flatiron for the long haul? Oh, for sure. This is a multi-year commitment, not just, you know, on paper, but also mentally. I mean, Flatiron's not just a company for us. It's much more than that. So it's in some ways our life's work, even though we're still relatively young. Is there an impulse in there somewhere of wanting to do a million things at once? I mean, look, we'll have our hands in things like we always have. I mean, we're still angel investing. We're still advising. We're still helping okay. companies get started. One of the coolest things is now that we're over five years old, a few employees have started to peel off to start their own companies and we're helping them. And thankfully, a lot of them are going into healthcare, some even in cancer. So that'll keep us, you know, <laughs> I think pretty busy. And, and on that note of the partnership that you and Zach have, I've seen so many stories where you have two best friends, they start a company as soon as their little hobby becomes a serious business, there's a clash and they become enemies. How did you figure out how to how to make this work and still stay friends? I mean, Zach and I, it's not all, you know, 
Rosie and I mean we we've certainly have our ups and downs like any you know marriage. Uh, Zach and I like to joke that we're to our wives they're the second wives. You know we've been we've been very lucky. I mean we figured out what we're each good at and Zach, one of our biggest I, I mentioned this contrarian thing. One thing Zach and I are we're very paranoid, which drives us maybe to a fault paranoid. I mean at invite we were at the office most nights till two or three in the morning, and most of the time it was doomsday scenarios like what if this company does that? What if that company does this? You know, we're going to die if Google buys this company and not us. Or, you know, we, it's just maybe in our own head, but I mean, very, <laughs> very paranoid. And even at Flatter for the first You're still four having years, those 3 a.m. I mean, it's waned or it's gotten less bad over time just because we've thankfully been able to build a, a very sticky platform. But, you know, I mean, the very beginning, you're like, wow, we just we didn't even know this company existed. And their website says they're doing the exact same thing as us. So for about an hour, you think, why are we even doing this? Someone's already doing it. And then you then you find out that that company is just a website. You know, it's a part time doctor and their spare time. But their website's spot on <laughs> or then, you know, oh, Oracle's getting into the space. But then you realize, oh, that's OK. We can compete with Oracle. You know, has this kind of survival instinct does it do you still have it yeah we do i mean look the thing that's driving us is competition we love competing we love questioning things we love you know shining light on things we love building things just there's nothing better than the response from a customer or a patient when they're like that's actually what i'm looking for it, that's just that's what drives us ultimately less the economics and so those are all still true right i mean we're very still much in in a in a battle for which is great for patients i mean there's lots of companies competing to build the best platform uh, the best drug discovery platform, the best database, the best evidence generation platform. And that's only going to be great, you know, for cancer patients. You know, there's companies coming in from alumni from Google, you know, in my competitive way, five and a half years after we did, but that's okay. <laughs> They're on to it now. But um, that's great. It's going to make us drive. It's going to make us build things better and faster. And ultimately, that'll keep Zach and I pretty excited. Do you have any advice for entrepreneurs who are pursuing their own businesses right now? I mean, it's easy for me to say, but if you have the opportunity to do it, do something mission oriented. Everything's easier. Um, things are harder, but it's easier to recruit. It's easier to fundraise if you're, if you truly care about what you're, don't just pick a random mission, something you care about. You know, it's so much more rewarding. You can build a for-profit company that's very rewarding economically for you and your employees, um, which will lead to better employees and, you know, in terms of recruiting but look, I, I'm, it's easy for me to say. I mean, Invite had so much to do with our Flatiron success. And while I don't love the mission that we had there, even though it was a success, it's what made us successful here. So, you know, if you have to start a company in a space more opportunistically is what it is. But at some point in your career, get get to that point where you start a company, you know, mission oriented. Well, has your shift from that changed your concept of what it means to be successful? Yeah. Be, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, to some degree, you need... Re- you need resources to be successful in this country. It takes money to make money. You got to invest. You got to have capital. That's how the world works. And that's totally fine. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a greater, I, I feel more rewarded ab- about Flatiron beyond the money everyone potentially could make over time to the fact that we're actually making a difference. That's what matters most. Is that going to have to define all of your pursuits from um, this point in your life? That's a good question. I've been thinking a lot about that. Uh, you know, there's, you know, I'm starting to, Zach and I are doing a lot of angel investing still that we haven't really slowed down. We certainly, direct our angel investing towards things that are, you know, more mission oriented or create jobs, not just help, uh, you know, smart software engineers get a more higher paying job. You know, if we ever start a company again, if we ever help start a company, you know, it's going to probably be something if I had to guess, you know, we're addicted to the mission orientation thing now. Thank you so much, Nat. Yeah, of course. 
Thanks for listening to Success How I Did It from Business Insider. Our show is produced by Anna Mazarakis and Dan Richards. Our executive producer is Dan Bobkoff. And I'm Rich Filoni. Don't forget to subscribe to Success How I Did It on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We'll be back next week with another interview of success.